Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for October 27th is Luke chapters 14 and 15. Jesus went in to one of the homes belonging to a ranking Pharisee, and they were watching him closely to see what he would do. Before him was a man whose body was swollen and full of fluid, and Jesus looks around and asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Jesus' question to them is, which of you, if you have a son or an ox who falls into a pit, you wouldn't stop what you're doing immediately and pull him out, regardless of whether it was a Sabbath day or not? They had no answer for him. Religion never can stand against reason and logic when it's based in truth. God is so much bigger than our religious mindsets and the boxes we try to put him in. His primary concern is his glory. Close behind that is his love for people. He doesn't so much care about rules. Many of you often feel condemned because you don't read your Bible every day, or you don't go to church every week, or maybe you don't pray as often as you feel you should. The truth is God is so happy to have relationship with you. The fact that you want to read your Bible and yet sometimes just feel too busy, the fact that you feel condemned about not praying enough shows that your heart is in the right place and that God is pleased with you. Of course, he wants you to do better. He wants us all to do better, but it's not for him so much as it is for our own benefit. He enjoys spending time with you. He wants to spend time with you in the same way that you want to spend time with your significant other or your child. Jesus calls us friends, not servants. He wants to have a mutually beneficial relationship with us. Let this encourage you. Jesus next told a parable about going to a feast or a banquet. Don't choose the place of honor. Don't go in and sit in the most important seat or the best seat. How embarrassing would it be if there were somebody more dignified with, than you was to come in and the, and the host would be put in the most uncomfortable situation of asking you to move to give your preferred seat to somebody else. The next parable is about doing good for those who are unable to repay you. There's nothing especially praiseworthy about throwing a banquet for your next-door neighbor and best friend who's going to do the same for you next week. But imagine throwing a banquet or a party for people who would never be able to repay you. Isn't it more important to offer to be a blessing to those who are unable to return the favor? Jesus says when you do that, you'll be rewarded by your Father in heaven. When you bless the one who can bless you in return, you've already received your reward. In verse 16, Jesus begins telling the story about a large banquet, and a man, when the time has come, tells the guests, it's time for the party, come. And they all start making excuses. Oh, I just bought some land, I need to take care of that. Oh, I just bought some oxen, I need to try them out. Oh, I just got married, let me go on my honeymoon. 
this banquet had been being prepared for quite some time, and there was even reserved seating for these distinguished guests. The man throwing the party can't let all of these good things go to waste, and frankly, it would be an embarrassment to have empty seats. So he tells the servants to go out and invite all who will, and he does. And when the banquet is full, he says, not one of those people who were invited initially will be allowed to enter in. They rejected me. They refused my invitation. Although this party was prepared for them, they will never be allowed in. And it's easy for Christians to think of this applying to the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The Jewish people are God's chosen people, but they rejected him. And now we Christians are coming in, and the Jews are just out of luck. But remember in Romans 1, verse 16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. And what happens to the Jew often happens to the Gentile, just like there are religious Jews, and there have been for thousands of years. The religious Christians assume because they go to a certain church or because of the faith that their mother or father or grandmother or someone else had, that they are good, that they've checked that box, that they are the in crowd, but they can't be inconvenienced to change their plans when God says, come. None of us will escape God's judgment when we don't obey him, when we don't come when the door is open. The most important thing is that we're listening for his voice and that we're following him or submitted to his leadership. We cannot take anything for granted. In verse 25, again, we see Jesus dissuading the crowds from following him. There were thousands upon thousands of people following him everywhere he went at this point. And so he turns and he says to them, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, if anyone doesn't even hate his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The most important question we can ask ourselves is, are we bearing the cross and following him? Are we dying to ourselves? Don't believe the fake gospel lie that if you ask Jesus into your heart, you get to go to heaven someday. What he did say again and again and again was, die to yourself and follow me. The reason that Jesus was crowned with thorns is to show we have to die to the way we think. The thorns went into his skull and caused him to bleed. It was painful, and it is painful for shaking our own dreams and asking him what he would have us to do. He was nailed through the hands, signifying the things we do could no longer be the things we want. They have to be what he wants. And he was nailed through the feet because he was showing us we can't walk the direction that we want to go anymore. We have to submit and go where he is telling us to go. These next couple of stories are about counting the cost. How foolish would it be to begin building a tower, and then once you lay the foundation and you build the first couple rows of cinder block to go around the perimeter, you run out of money and supplies and you can't go any further. 
wouldn't it be terrible to put all of that work in and have nothing to show for it except for a useless, incomplete building? What's even worse, Jesus highlights the fear of failure we all have. If you do that, people will see it and they will laugh at you. They will ridicule you. They'll say he started something and he couldn't finish it. What a shame. We all have a fear of failure hardwired into us. God put it there. The enemy wants to use it to tell us to never start anything of significance. But the truth beckons us to count the cost, to lay down, to sacrifice everything to do the most significant thing. Jesus says, in the same way, every one of you who doesn't renounce every single one of his belongings cannot be my follower. In order to follow Jesus, you have to give up everything. He's not a supplement. He is everything. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He deserves all of our devotion, all of our obedience. Jesus is saying this, and he's speaking to the religious elite who are the ones who are supposed to have known God the most. And Jesus is speaking these words, and all of a sudden, tax collectors and other people who were considered to be sinners begin approaching, listening. What is this? Lay down everything and come and follow you? This is new. It's different. I would rather come and follow this man if it costs me everything than continue in the religious system that's dead, that only wants 10% of what I have. Of course, the Pharisees and the scribes, these religious hypocrites, hated the fact that Jesus was appealing to the masses, that he was giving hope to the hopeless. And Jesus tells them this parable about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them is lost. Wouldn't you leave the 99 to go and find that one? And when the shepherd finds that one who was lost and in danger and separated from the flock, isn't there rejoicing? Doesn't the shepherd tell his friends, hey, rejoice with me. I found the one that was lost. When a widow loses a coin that's worth one day's wage, doesn't she sweep the entire house, looks under the dresser and under the bed and under the table and moves the doormat out of the way and searches everywhere until she finds it? And when she finds it, isn't she overjoyed that she found what had been lost? That's how it is in heaven when one sinner repents. There's more joy over the one that was found than over the 99 who had no need to repent. There is joy in the presence of God's angels when the people of God turn to him and say, whatever you want, Father, whatever you want, I'll do it. I lay it all down, your way, not my way. You can have it all. The parable of the prodigal son is one that is famous and told and it's almost dangerous because we become inoculated by it when we hear the truth over and over and over again, but we don't react to it. It's like it loses its effectiveness on us. And so we strive to hear it with fresh ears. A man has two sons. The younger son is going wayward. His heart isn't in his work. He just wants to go and experience the things of this world that will please his flesh. 
And so he says, Father, I know you're not dead yet, but you're dead to me. Just give me my inheritance. I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to have a relationship with you. I don't really even want to be your son. Emancipate me. Give me what I'll get once you die. Imagine the pain in that father's heart. But he does it. He gives the younger son what he asks for. He goes off to another country, squanders the money on wine and women. When he's spending that money, he has lots of friends, I'm sure. But as soon as the money is gone, those friends vanish. That's the way it works. Soon he finds himself homeless, starving, working as a farmhand, not even making enough to feed himself. And he's daydreaming about eating the slop that he's feeding to the pigs. Mind you, pigs are unclean animals. Hebrew men during that time would not even think about eating a pig, much less eating with a pig. But eventually he comes to his senses. It's like he wakes up. He comes to himself. He realizes that his father's servants have more and better. And he's also humbled and he understands that he doesn't deserve to even be counted among his father's servants, but he knows his father is a merciful and gracious man. I'll just go back to my father. I know I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. I already squandered my inheritance. Can I just be your servant? When the father sees him coming, he opens his arms wide. He has a feast prepared. He puts his robe on the son. He puts his ring on his son's finger. And the older brother who had never left is offended because he had a perspective problem. He was so focused on the offense that he couldn't see the greater work that God was trying to do there or even that God had already done. Isaiah 40, 31 talks about rising up with wings as eagles. It changes your perspective when you rise up above. The brother was so close to the ground that the offense of his younger brother was too much for him. He couldn't get focused on God's perspective. He needed to rise up with wings as eagles and see the greater picture of what God was doing from a mile-high view in the sky. And the father tries to reason with him, Son, everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and he's now found. Praise God that we are found, that we are alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Christ, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in response to that, we say, Father, thank you. We love you. Change us and make us like you so that we can be busy about advancing your kingdom on this earth, Father. May we steward it well for your glory. In Jesus' name. My friends, thank you for being on this journey with me. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. And for those who are interested, I am a real estate agent in the state of Florida, selling homes in southwest Florida around Naples and Fort Myers. 
And I have a team of real estate agents currently in 16 states, all affiliated with Call It Closed International Realty. And we're looking for real estate agents to join our brokerage in the 16 states that we're already open in, as well as the other 34 and all the nations around the world. We would love for you to be a part of it. Join us. You can reach me at agentdaviddoty.com. Thank you for your consideration.